Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 13 of the Clarinet Podcast. Today on the show, I speak with not one, but two representatives from the Royal Conservatory of Music, Derek Chu and Peter Stoll. Derek Chu is a Canadian pianist and music educator who is also the Alberta Regional Representative for the RCM. He has degrees from the University of Waterloo and the Manhattan School of Music. Peter Stoll is a highly accomplished clarinetist and music educator who is also an examiner for the RCM and helped compile this new syllabus. He studied with the likes of James Campbell, Avram Galper, and Ronald Chandler, and he holds degrees from the University of Toronto and Indiana University. Today's giveaway is one set of five RCM clarinet repertoire books, ranging from level prep to four. Each book contains a clarinet part, of course, with the piano score, but also a CD with performances and practice tracks that students can play along with. This is a great collection, and it's worth approximately $150, which will make a perfect gift for any student or a great prize for a teacher. And now, for today's episode with Derek Chu and Peter Stoll. Hi, Derek and Peter, and welcome to the Clarinet.com podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Before we get started, I'd like to give our listeners, who could be listening from anywhere in the world, a brief introduction to the Royal Conservatory of Music System and its history. This dates back to the 1880s and includes such esteemed alumni as the late Glenn Gould, jazz artist Diana Krall, and the Griffon Trio. Would you give a brief synopsis of the RCM and its value that it adds to the Canadian music society and our culture? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The uh, Royal Conservatory is one of the largest and most respected music education institutions in the world. And um, what we do is we provide a really strong definitive standard of excellence in curriculum design assessment, performance training, teacher certification, and uh, arts-based social programs. Our president, Peter Simon, he's uh, made the mission of the Royal Conservatory uh, to be to develop human potential through leadership in music and the arts. And he believes that this is uh, the conviction that arts are the humanity's greatest means to achieving uh, personal growth and social cohesion. So all of us involved with the Royal Conservatory uh, work every single day, uh, whether we're teaching at the Glenn Gould School or the Taylor Academy or through exams or through the Learning Through the Arts program to fulfill uh, this mission. We really do believe that the future for for humans and for everyone uh, on this planet is really going to be built around strong education in music and the arts. Clarinetis, uh, we've been able to take RCM exams for a long time. How do you feel that these students will be able to benefit from this new syllabus and kind of take advantage of this contribution to society that you're talking about? Yeah, well, it's really been a complete rethink of the clarinet curriculum through uh, RCM exams because uh, in addition to creating the new clarinet series of uh, literature, uh, when we redid the syllabus, we added in grades that were formerly missing. And so now you really have a complete run from preparatory right up through uh, what's called the ARCT, the Associateship of the Royal Conservatory of Toronto level, which is the culminating level of the, uh, the system. And it's a much smoother flow from level to level. Uh, that we were able to achieve now that we've got uh, all the added steps put back in. So you really have uh, a system that begins with uh, playing really just in the left hand, so just under the break and in the left hand, and then gradually goes lower down into the chalumeau before going up over the break and then up towards the altissimo. And uh, 
the idea of the of each assessment or examination is a really comprehensive one. So it's not only focused on playing a piece or two. In fact, there are usually two pieces per level, but also a selection of studies, uh, a selection of scales and other technical patterns, some ear tests, some sight reading, and at the uh, higher levels, some orchestral excerpts as well. So it's a really thorough, comprehensive system, and it's got a really nice flow. I think people will find going from one level to the next to the next uh, very, very graduated now. Yeah, as someone who teaches from the new syllabus and who did teach from the old syllabus, I, I have to say it is it is really improved and it's really fantastic. I, I have one student who's now been from preparatory all the way to level five, just since wow. this came out, amazingly. And um, she's really enjoyed having the, for example, the technique book, which really lays out what the goals are. And it's a great kind of checklist for the student in that way. Do you know why the other levels used to be omitted? That was one thing that I always got asked, and I, I never really had a good answer for that. I think it was historically because the system started with piano and expanded in through voice and strings, and I think that in a way, winds, brass, and percussion were some of the later sort of arrivals at the party, and uh, because the numbers were smaller, I think they started out with a smaller selection of exams to sort of assess how things went, and then that just sort of became the normal uh, that everybody was used to. And so it took a while until uh, people came along in leadership to say, hey, maybe we should shake this up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So in total, we have 10 grades, but there's actually 12 levels, correct? There's preparatory, 1 through 10, and then the final ARCT is on top of that, correct? That's correct, yes. So for someone who is just starting out on the clarinet, um, how should they gauge which level they should begin with? Well, I mean, I would certainly say you would always go through your teacher first. Um, and for a teacher who's just getting familiar with the system, one of the, th the best ways of gauging the right level is to just look at what's asked at each level. And so you can sort of tell uh, if somebody is doing rose studies or if they're pre-rose or if they're just beginning, uh, what kind of range are they comfortable with? Say they're using the Galper books there are sort of lots of markers that will help you. And the start of each grade actually indicates with a little bit of text what the basic focus of that level is to help people place themselves. Yeah, I think that's really great, actually. In the, uh, even in the Etudes book that you guys are having now, um, there's a little sort of blurb. I, I think it's around level four where they start suggesting the use of re resonance fingerings, for example. And, and I think those are good sort of guideposts to as far as the musical maturity of the student and uh, where they can go. I think you're, you're right with that. I, one thing that I do actually when I have a new student starting and they're interested in this program is I sort of just open the book and, and, and start playing. And when we sort of reach a point where it's like, hmm, that's, that's sort of a challenge, then we sort of direct our attention towards around that area. And one thing that's really great about this collection too is the selection of pieces in that um, etude book. I sort of treat it like a best of collection and, and I actually have students who aren't interested in taking exams at all playing from that book because it really lets them look into all sorts of different composers at sort of a, a good price. What was the RCM hoping to accomplish with that book in particular? Well, I think as you say, the idea is to give people a sampling of some of the different collections, anthologies, and individual composers that have written significant studies for the clarinet. 
we wanted to uh, update things to include more recent compositions and also styles. Uh, things are now much more uh, prominent uh, in terms of crossing over into the jazz and even a little bit into the klezmer area with some of the studies and certainly some of the repertoire pieces. And so it was felt that you want to give people at a given level a good range of things they can choose from. Often they only have to do two, three, or four studies, but there are m many more than that in each volume. And uh, so the hope is that certainly virtually every student could find uh, some studies that they really, really liked playing and working on, but also that it might, as they and their teacher read through the other ones, open their eyes and ears to some of the other publications that are out there. I think what you just said about like playing is so important for students. Another thing I find interesting about this collection is that a lot of my students insist on trying most all the pieces, or at least hearing me play them for them once, because they really find them very pleasing to the ear and rewarding to play. And I, I think that's that's great. At, at each level, they've, they've you found a nice balance that really seems to work. Well, that that's encouraging, and that that's that was certainly uh, the hope that we had. And uh, I should acknowledge the other members of the the team. Uh, I was the chief compiler for the syllabus, but the uh, the repertoire and study and, and other uh, books in the clarinet collection were compiled by uh, Helen Russell, who's an, a teacher at the Conservatory in Toronto, and uh, Michelle Verhul, who's a prominent freelancer in the city. Yeah, so there was th uh, three people then contributing, yourself and, and the other two, that's how it worked? Yeah, and we, we sort of divided it up. I, I mostly handled the syllabus. They focused on the books, but there's a lot of points of cross crossover back and forth where we have to make sure that things are lining up so that so, you know the scales agree, and so on. So there were there were quite a few meetings and lots and lots of emails. As a teacher, I've found that the levels. I'm not sure if this is intentional, but sometimes I'll notice that a level four piece, for example, seems almost bridging to level five, and sometimes they seem almost more like level three pieces. And then there's a few that are sort of in the middle. Was that kind of intended to give a student who was maybe not ready for level five a little more of a challenge or vice versa, someone who might be newer in level four? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the basic thinking was that for sure that there would be a range of music at every level. And, uh, and I found this because the books go up to, grit to level eight. Mm -hmm. But um, I found even going onwards, grade nine, ten and ARCT with the, the list of repertoire studies – I would try to put a fairly broad range of things in there because there you you get all kinds of folks wanting to take exams from you know budding young professionals to uh, adult amateurs who have sort of rediscovered their love for the instrument or who have discovered it for the first time and it's about keeping the whole system as accessible as possible to the greatest range of people. Mm -hmm. What might others gain from using these educational materials, even if they live anywhere in the world and aren't able to take the exams in person? We have a publishing company under the Royal Conservatory umbrella called the Frederick Harris uh, Music. And originally, Frederick Harris was a publisher in London. And then he set up the business here in Canada. And that actually started the long association with the Royal Conservatory of Music. Um, we actually just launched the new Frederick Harris Music website today. And on this we have um, an online bookstore, so anyone in the world could uh, purchase the materials, not just for clarinet, uh, but also other woodwind instruments, uh, brass, strings, piano, voice, theory, and history. And we also have a list of uh, retailers in North America. But for those who aren't in North America, you're 
more than able to uh, order these books online through our bookstore. Yeah, the list is becoming very comprehensive. Are, are we nearing all instruments? What's, what's left for the RCM? I'm not sure exactly what we what we don't have. I know what we do have, uh, but it is as Peter explained a little bit. It's a it's a giant project mm-hmm. to compile all these pieces and to put them into uh, publications. Where uh, our next big project is coming out in August, which is going to be the the new theory uh, system, the theory, theory syllabus, and we're calling it 2016 Celebrate Theory. So that's our next big project. Oh, great! Wow. I would jump in and add. Uh, having spoken with Jane Campbell, who's one of the uh, the managers at Frederick Harris Music, uh, it's important to remember that, uh, amongst other things, once you get a series uh, or a syllabus uh, of publications out, you can't sort of leave them there that long because the music world is always expanding and growing so quickly. And so I know that I think guitar is one of their projects following that of the theory I certainly think for the winds, we have most of the things covered. I keep sort of putting a little bug in their ear about the thought of doing some kind of a bass clarinet-focused syllabus. Uh, and there are just so many massive other projects. I think it's a, it's a sort of a longer-term goal everybody has that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, I certainly know that saxophone, that they've, they've just redone their syllabus and that covers tenor and a baritone in some places and soprano and there's bass trombone. So a lot of the, uh, the sort of, uh, auxiliary woodwinds, uh, are also addressed and brass are addressed in the, uh, the series now. That was actually a listener question, which maybe we'll skip to now. Um, that is something that's in the works, eh? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a it's sort of a frustration for me personally, but I understand that it's a big organization and, you know, in a way the reality is that they're looking at, well, what are the likely numbers of bass clarinet candidates that would sign up for these assessments and, uh, you know, relative to, you know, guitar or piano or voice or anything else. And so it's something like that they're open to it and Jane always tells me, you know, just keep reminding me every year or so. I think, you know, if I can uh, sort of use this uh, forum a little bit to uh, encourage people to contact the RCM uh, and let them know that this is something they're interested in. I think the more public interest uh, that the, the management level sees, the more likely they are to do something. I'm suggesting to them, rather than a run of print books, uh, probably just an online syllabus uh, that would be available for bass clarinetists. Because if I try to sell the idea that they'll have, you know, thousands of bass clarinetists a year taking exams. I mean, I don't think that that's realistic. But uh, I certainly, as I was compiling the syllabus, I play lots of bass clarinet myself. And I became aware of how many dedicated pieces and even whole study and method books there are for bass clarinet now. So uh, certainly my thinking would be that you could have a syllabus that more or less parallels the clarinet one in the early grades and then starts to move more into some of the extended range uh, notes that some people may have on their bass clarinets, or at least low E flat, and uh, and really, 
explore the amazing wealth of, of dedicated bass clarinet repertoire that there is now. So if a player wanted to simply hop on kind of for the first couple of levels, is that something the RCM would consider then? I mean, that seems like it would save a lot of uh, administrative efforts and it would allow someone to sort of switch to adding the, the regular clarinet at a point where they're getting to the standard rep- repertoire. I think that's an excellent idea and I'm happy to, to suggest that for sure because uh, I've certainly, at least uh, in asking about bass clarinet, opened people's eyes to the existence of the instrument and the possibility uh, that, that people might want to do this. And uh, that's a great idea because if they start to see interest in people playing the, the basic exams without having to you know, publish any new, new books or, or revise syllabus or anything like that, then that might lead to a sense of, oh, I think this is really here to stay and we should start to dedicate more resources to it. Well, and I think that as a classical training organization, there, there needs to be some responsibility to encourage people to, uh, I wouldn't even consider it double, like you've got to know how to play clarinet and bass clarinet uh, at once if you want to be a clarinetist. Um, but I think that'd be a good way to kind of, as Derek was saying, get the widest possible number of people on board and, and experiencing the structured music education. Yeah, I was just going to add um, all of our, our we, have, we have exam uh, syllabi for 21 instruments, and those are all online uh, and free through our website. Um, but for teachers and musicians out there, when you look at the syllabi and, and you see that there may be a piece that you think is a, is a fantastic piece that you enjoy teaching, uh, but you don't see it on the syllabi, please let us know because this is one of the ways that we improve our programming is taking the input from teachers. Uh, I know a lot of our pieces that have been included in the syllabi are ones that have been suggested, not the ones that we personally teach, but they're suggested from teachers like yourselves who are listening to this podcast. Wow, that's great. So where can listeners or anyone uh, who might be interested in providing that, that, I, that feedback, where can they contact the RCM for that? You can visit www.rcmusic.ca and at the bottom of the website, there is a page that says contact us. And through there, um, they can they can contact us either by email or by phone under the learnings section for examinations. Great. And again, I'll throw that link up there in the show notes if you want to check that out. So each grade, I think this is one of the, the greatest things about the CD, um, sorry, the, the collection as well, is the CDs that come with it. Um, each disc, for those who are unaware, have the performance of the piece with an accompanist and then the backing track without the uh, clarinet player. There's just the piano. And this makes a great thing to to practice with. I sometimes take this a step further and I load the CD into um, Logic Pro and then I can adjust the tempo with an app called Very Speed. And I was wondering, is there any sort of digital offering coming from the RCM in this regard so people could adjust the speed themselves or... Because a lot of students nowadays seem to not even have CD players, which I do find alarming, but it's the trend. Scary, yeah. Derek? Derek? I, I don't know anything on the horizon for uh, the instrument, uh, for the orchestral instruments in that fashion. I know that we published a series called Connections in 2006, 2007 by Christopher Norton. And Christopher Norton had actually um, included backing tracks. Um, two tempos, one for a practice tempo, one for a performance tempo. But this is something that's, um, yeah, it's 
quite popular for young students to go on and use apps to do that sort of thing and and so that they can get a practice tempo. Um, but this is something that we should probably discuss at the Royal Conservatory and, and see if we have the uh, the man hours and the manpower to put something like this together for, for all instruments. Well, yeah, and it's interesting to me because I the death of the CD has come faster than I even realized. I mean, and I'm actually currently in the middle of finalizing a CD project right now, so maybe I'm a little behind the times, but I'm surprised to hear sometimes I, I'll ask a student to listen to something a couple weeks in a row, and then it comes out that the only CD player they have is in the car because the laptops don't have it now, and everyone's got their iPods, so they actually don't even know how to get it on their computer, which is really strange. Mm-hmm. So... What I would do, what I would recommend is, is for all the students is when you're preparing works with a collaborative pianist to, to rehearse as many times as possible and not just put together a quick rehearsal uh, a week or a couple of days before you have to go on stage. There, there's something said to be, so something said about a relationship with the collaborative pianist that would only enhance your musicianship and understanding of the music. Would you not agree, Peter? I absolutely do agree. And, uh, I forwarded your thoughts, Sean, to uh, my contacts at Frederick Harris and uh, waiting to hear back what they have to say, but I think it's a, it's a very good point. I suppose, in a way, part of the problem is the technology is changing so fast, it sort of seems like you go to a great trouble to you know, rejig a publication to work with an app, and then that app may already be out of, out of date. Yeah, um, no, so. it's, it's true. So I don't know what the solution is, but um, I do agree that, that rehearsing with the, the pianist or the, the accompanist, collaborative pianist, whatever you want to call it, is really important. And even earlier on in the, the, the preparation process, but I do think that the CDs have such great potential to prepare for the preparation with the, <laughs> with the accompanist. Because otherwise, <laughs> in some situations, I find that the students are, the first time they do that, they're a little overwhelmed because all of a sudden there's this extra part to the piece that they weren't really aware of themselves until that moment. Um, and maybe they, they knew it existed and had heard it, but to actually play with it and to have that recording to get in the personal practice time is, is really a great thing. Yeah, I mean, it's something that uh, that a pianist might not even understand, that where you play an instrument that plays just one note at a time, we get so used to just hearing the melody that it can really disorient, well, even a professional player to suddenly hear harmony parts that weren't there before. So I think that's the idea is to, to help, as you say, to help get the student ready for that rehearsal, that first rehearsal with the pianist, so that there isn't that sort of sense of disorientation. And you know, this actually leads really well into the next question here, where we're at with the conversation. Um, some of the pieces, and I found this a little bit surprising, I don't know if the last syllabus had any of these, but some of them are unaccompanied. What was the thought behind this? Yeah, I mean, there's become such a huge repertoire of unaccompanied pieces. Uh, just in the last two weeks, I've premiered uh, a solo piece for clarinet, and a soprano clarinet, and another one for solo bass clarinet, that uh, we sort of felt that we wanted to use the venue and the purpose of the syllabus to flow people gradually upwards in their comfort level with, with all kinds of playing. And so we thought, well, why not put in some unaccompanied works earlier. I mean, in a way, that's what a study is, right? Is It's an unaccompanied piece. But actually put in concert repertoire. So I think even starting at level four, we have a piece there. And uh, the idea is that in that way, by the time you're ready to do the Sudermeister Capriccio, the Stravinsky three pieces, Elliot Carter's Gra, or, or anything else, you 
have some comfort with with playing music that works that way. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I don't really know where I sit with it, actually, because on one hand, I kind of feel, well, shouldn't the accompanied portion of the recital be accompanied? Like that's, in a way, it seems like kind of the point. But in a more practical sense, the clarinet player in the university, for example, is preparing a recital program. They're not necessarily playing pieces with accompaniment. I mean, even me, I played uh, the solo movement from Quartet for the End of Time. Uh, I did do Elliot Carter's Gras. There's a couple other things that, that come up, you know, and those are legitimate pieces. And a lot of music nowadays um, does include the solo element in a more serious setting. So an another sort of unseen benefit actually is that for students where the cost of accompanying is, is becoming prohibitive when it adds to the lesson and the exams and, and all these things, um, in those situations, I've found it, it takes a little bit of the financial weight off and also adds to their musical responsibility growth at the same time. Sure. I think it's important to, to note a couple of things. Uh, unaccompanied works as a separate category only start at level 10. So uh, in grades preparatory through 9, the repertoire is always uh, two pieces. You have a list of generally slower pieces and then generally faster ones. At level 10 and then ARCT, there is a third list uh, with totally unaccompanied pieces. Now, in the other grades, there are unaccompanied pieces sometimes on both lists at a given level, but there's always a caveat. There's an in a set of instructions under repertoire before the actual listing of the pieces starts, and it specifies that at least one work must be accompanied. So the idea is not to... Uh, avoid the challenge of a clarinetist playing with a pianist and all of the ensemble and tuning challenges that that brings, but to open the door, as you say, to developing this sort of sense of musical comfort, giving a performance of a repertoire piece without a supporting part, and yes, there may be a financial benefit too in easing the amount of rehearsal time that's required. Yeah, I mean, I haven't fully formed my thoughts on this, but as I do consider it more, I, I think it really is a musically progressive outlook that, that's very forward-thinking, so I think it's a, a good concept. It's, it's worth noting that the idea of the syllabus is to give people as wide a range as possible of options, but we don't sort of force the issue with anything until, yeah, by the time you get to level 10, now you do have to do an unaccompanied piece, as well as two fully accompanied ones. Yeah, level 10 has group A, B, and C, right? There's three right. separate, okay. One of the things that we did in this syllabus was try to streamline the amount of material you have to prepare relative to the amount of time you'll have in the exam room. So in everything from the number of studies, the number of scale patterns that you have to prepare, uh, the way we handle orchestral excerpts, I think it's level 7 and up, where you now have the candidate, the, the student can choose uh, say three from the list rather than prepare the whole list and the examiner will hear however many they can. We're trying to streamline the experience so that much more what you prepare, most of it will be heard in the exam room. Well, this is actually something that I, I was um, often uh, concerned about before is that in the old level, for example, I, I had someone take a level eight exam. And, and I think that in the old system, they did have to prepare every orchestral excerpt and 
I think they prepared four to six studies and then only had to play two or something. But right. now they actually prepare just the, the works that they will be performing, which I, I think gets them to a higher level. Yeah, and I think it's a more satisfying experience for a student as well. Uh, and it's, it's worth noting one of the things that I tried to do uh, with this syllabus was to reuse a given book as many times as possible. So if somebody, rather than using our collection of clarinet books, if a teacher says, no, I really do want you to go out and get uh, the Leon Lester 60, 60 Rambles for clarinet, we tried to use as many studies as possible from the book on different lists, because again, with studies as with repertoire pieces, at a given level, you usually have to play some slower studies and some faster ones, but also to reuse that book at different levels. Mm-hmm. So that that way, if you buy a book, you don't just you aren't forced to buy a book, play one study from it, or prepare one study from it, and then never see it again. Um, on episode four of the podcast, I was talking to Daryl Caswell, and I'm not sure if you know who that is, but he is an inventor of something called the Landwell Reed Knife. He plays mm. horn in the Red Deer Symphony, and he teaches engineering actually at the University of Calgary. He's a pretty mm. pretty well rounded guy, but. Mm. Uh, Anyways, he often uses his position as an engineer to go around to band classes and explain to the parents what the real benefit of music is and and how it applies beyond just the band room and just the instrument. Derek, would you maybe provide some of the further benefits that the RCM wants to provide families and and students with outside of music? Sure. Sure. I think we've all believed and we all know that there are these wonderful benefits of music education. Um, But now recently, in in the last few years, there's been so much more research and cognitive development studies that have been gathered by researchers um, across the country and and around the world, really identifying specifics of where music is uh, making its most powerful effect in the brains of uh, those who are studying it, not just children. I, I just have a couple, of, a, a list of things that uh, the study of music develops in the brain, such as a speech, reading, language skills, IQ, memory, focus, empathy, social awareness, health, emotional resilience, creative creativity, artistry, and self-confidence. Those are uh, a couple of the items. And I have this really wonderful quote from Dr. Sean Hutchins. He's the uh, director of research at the Royal Conservatory. And he says that it has become more and more evident that music education can play an important role in a child's development, spurring them towards greater achievements in all areas of their life. In studying, sorry, in study after study, musicians show better cognitive skills such as attention, memory, and perception, which are supported by changes to the brain itself. That's it's a quote from our director of research. So we have two white papers on our website um, that speak of the benefits of music education that are free to download to your listeners at any time. They can share those with their friends and family as well. Great. Yeah, I'll put those up on the, the website too. I, I would just jump in and mention something too. You mentioned band classes in school. And because so many clarinetists start their study of the clarinet in those those uh, classes and in that context we put in the syllabus actually a few studies in some of the early grades from the Bruce Pearson Standard of Excellence series which is actually a band method that uh, a lot of schools and teachers use so the thinking is that again this is perhaps a good entree 
to the idea of the exam system and the other materials that there's sort of something in common that uh, that's listed there. What um, mm-hmm. what reach does the RCM with the or, or rather would they like to develop as far as trying to get students from the bank programs into the exam rooms? Because I, I think that's one of the odd things actually, because so many people take piano exams almost in a way because for younger students that's the only real avenue to perform and study the piano. But for band students, I sometimes find that the parents especially sort of think, well, my, my kid's in band and he's doing the, the, the performances and all that. Like, why would I pursue additional studies? So if I were a band parent asking that question, how would you explain to me? There, there's something to be said about individual lessons uh, for every instrument, whether it's piano, strings, and, of course, the band instruments. Uh, we have such wonderful teachers across the country in both Canada and the United States who really know the instrument really well. And, and these teachers are going to be able to work with uh, each student to develop not only their technique, but their artistry and their imagination and their musicianship. And it's it's a lot um, – there's a lot more personality and personal approach to working in a private lesson than when you would be, uh, say, in an ensemble in a, in a junior high or a high school band. Um, from what I understand, a lot of those programs, um, there's a lot of push to just learn repertoire and there may not be as much of a focus on technique and other musicianship skills as the theories and the histories and the oral skills. Now, that's not every program because there are some very fantastic uh, band programs uh, that I, I know of. And also marching bands and drum corps as well, as that, as well that really do focus on those intricacies. But um, the private lessons are always going to be available to help those students get to that next level, to go one more step in their music education. And like I said, not just with uh, learning the repertoire, but to, with a real focus on technique, oral skills, theory and history. I would, I would add something, too, which is there's an interesting thought about a, a student, a kid, who's taking band. And that's that very often we know that most of the people in a band class don't go on to pursue being a professional musician, and that's fine. But there's an awful lot of folks that if they build up a good level and a, a real level of confidence and satisfaction in playing the clarinet while they're uh, a, a child and a young adult, they may very well then come back to it later in life and find a lot of satisfaction playing in a community band or orchestra or in chamber, chamber groups. And so there's an argument to be made that giving somebody an accelerated and deeper foundation of skill and confidence on the instrument while they're dealing with it in a class context may really add something to the later part of someone's life. And not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that these people could then become patrons of the arts and enjoy concerts at a deeper level in their in their community. For sure. That's right. There's actually um, Columbia Med School. They have an entire orchestra that is made up of their med school students. Wow. Yeah, at least are from sixty to seventy uh, members in that orchestra. And there's a doc- there's a doctor's orchestra in New York City as well. I know. Well, it's That's it's right. amazing. So many people also turn around and and when they get older and they finally have a chance, the kids have moved out and they're they're starting to retire. They often look back and and think, man, I wish I had taken music. And even I have some 
some older students who one lady started about three years ago and she's doing fantastically well. She's playing in the local community bands. I can't believe that she started playing clarinet only three years ago. Like it's, it's really alarming. Yeah. Or it's really amazing, <laughs> not alarming. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, I, I just think like, I've never heard an adult say to me, oh, I'm so glad I didn't have the chance to take music lessons. That would have been horrible, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. And I often tell st- kids that when I go to a school that has mandatory band and they're, you know, they're, their arms are crossed and they're looking all upset, I, I sort of just say that to them. Like, the worst thing that could possibly happen is that you might like it. And, Great. And, right. and then what? You know, you might have to play at your own will. How horrible would that be, you know? <laughs> well, and yeah. the thing too is I think that for the kids, you're going to feel a lot better about doing something if you can do it well. There's an, that old saying, anything worth doing is worth doing well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's only so much any band teacher can do covering classes of 30 or 40 kids. And so when you start to get that little extra boost of the private lessons, you have a specialist on the clarinet showing you how to make a proper embouchure, breathing, blowing, hand position, how to articulate. I mean, it just is going to feel so much better and be so much more satisfying. It'll be a better experience at the time and then absolutely set you up for a deeper understanding of what professional artists are doing. If you want to to go and be a patron at concerts and maybe supporting the groups, putting them on, and then also coming back to it yourself later. Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and another concept I've always thought was kind of funny is there's this sort of camp of people who feel that they don't want to gain more understanding of music because it might somehow affect their enjoyment of it. But I've never heard that same argument for, say, sports. I mean, a kid goes to school and he learns to play hockey or football, and then we have these football stadiums that are just packed with fans. And I think that most of them understand the game and and why they're there, you know? So I think if we have people in orchestra audiences, for example, who have appreciation for the music, um, it really will further enrich our society in that in that way as well. I do think that somebody going to an orchestra concert, say the Calgary Phil or the Toronto Symphony or whatever, and seeing clarinetists play when they've really taken their own understanding of it to a higher level, if anything, you just respect even more the amazing level that uh, our professional players have today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing actually Derek, I was just, uh, or sorry, Daryl um, would do for his engineering class is he was, he would try to bridge this gap and he would actually play a garden hose for his students. He would play, he <laughs> said he played Brahms on it and <laughs> he wanted to show them how much of the music was in the head and you didn't need a nice fancy instrument to do anything with. You just had to have your musical brain and your mouthpiece and you could all of a sudden play this amazing music on this piece of scrap that you found in your garage you know i I bet that performance of brahms had a very fluid watery tempo though (laughs) (laughs) he actually said that the uh acoustical properties of the garden hose were really ideal for playing uh (laughs) in the style of a horn so i don't know maybe he's onto something but uh, great who knew just to go back a little bit here um i wanted to just ask one more question about the uh rcm's philosophy on on music I do think that all that we're talking about as far as the benefit for the the average person, even after their music studies, I think that's all really good. But I sometimes feel that almost this has gone too far. I mean, there's there's instances where people will will contact for lessons and the, the, the reason for taking lessons is literally to improve their math marks. And I find that to be a very odd concept. But I, is it is it the intention that that might sort of arise from this sort of philosophy, this concept? Well, it's um, 
we do have a lot of students and, and parents whose whose main goal into taking music lessons is strictly to get a high school credit out of it or to put on the resume that they've done a, a level 10 in clarinet or saxophone or piano in, in hopes that those sorts of things would boost their uh, acceptance to university. Um, Sorry, what I mean though some- is, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that one thing that this sort of marketing has led to is the idea that taking music will, by correlation, improve one's math marks. And I sometimes feel that the, the connection to music is actually lost for some families in this regard. Do you mm-hmm. see no, what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I have to agree with with that because they've made the actual study, the the benefits of music, essentially the last priority on the list, um, which is, is quite unfortunate because there's so much joy and there's so much uh, fascination that can come from studying music. Um, one thing that I like to do as a teacher and as a representative of the conservatory is really to educate the parents on on why we're doing music, not just for that math mark and, and not just to um, because you do music, your math mark will be higher, but to really show them what the benefits of music is and, and, and what their child or whoever is studying is going to gain out of it. Mm-hmm. Peter, I do you would, have any I, thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say that... Uh, in a way, if I'm thinking in a really cold-blooded way about it as a professional player and teacher, I don't so much care what brings somebody in the door at first. I'm pretty confident with the power of music that eventually a student will start to love it for itself and that then the parents will see, well, okay, maybe we started off, you know, Jimmy or Sally taking piano or clarinet lessons because we thought, you know, the discipline or the assistance with math or anything might be there. But eventually I think they're going to realize, wow, my kid's really loving it for itself. So maybe in a way I trust the music to kind of do that educating itself. Mm -hmm. So um, the RCM has been very generous with today's giveaway for the show. And we actually have four, no, wait, Two, four, five books here to give away to a lucky listener. So there's the clarinet preparatory level all the way up to level four, and then an additional bonus sampler of the uh, clarinet, saxophone, and uh, uh, the method books that we have here as well. Is there anything you guys want to say about these, um, this package for a winner in particular? Sure. I think what you'll find is that really covers off a good two or three or more years of study and. Uh, it's a really wonderful thing to see how things that begin very simply in the left hand under the break uh, gradually work their way towards kind of pre-standard pieces, uh, concertos or sonata movements of Lefebvre and so on. And I think you'll find there's such a wealth of colorful and interesting music from so many different styles. Uh, I would encourage people to do exactly what you suggested, Sean, some of your students are doing, which is really explore all of the different pieces that are there. Absolutely. And I want to say, too, that let's say you're a professional player and this doesn't sound so enticing. This is uh, around $150 worth of resources that you absolutely should be using in your studio and checking out. So if you're thinking that you're a little beyond level four or level three or preparatory, (laughs) these books are still for you if you're teaching. So I think they're a really, really great thing to have have here. Yeah. So, Derek, you mentioned this briefly already, but if people are interested in learning more about the RCM, uh, they can find online. You have a Twitter and a Facebook page. I'll put the links. Are there any, are there any other ways that we should uh, mention? 
Uh, yeah, we have an Instagram account as well. Uh, like you said, Twitter, Facebook, our, our websites. Um, we have four regional reps in Canada and uh, a regional representative in the state of California uh, that who we're all able to answer your questions whether it's the uh, clarinet or other woodwind syllabizer programs. And if we're not able to uh, get uh, answer right away, we will get you in touch with someone like uh, Peter, who is an authoritative uh, source for these uh, resources that we have. So, Peter, um, before we wrap up here today, if I were a student, how would I go about achieving the highest grade possible on the exam? That's, an, that's a question which often comes up. Sure, and it's a great question. One of the, the real takeaways, I think, as a life lesson for anybody uh, taking one of these assessments is the need to prepare in a very methodical uh, way because these exams cover quite a comprehensive range of, uh, of categories and challenges. So if you want to do well, you really have to look at every section in preparing it. And that means, of course, the repertoire which means your own personal practice, as well as adequate rehearsal with your collaborative pianist. Uh, it means, of course, the studies, and be prepared right to the end. Sure, if time is short, an examiner may cut a study off, but don't count on that. So really know every note uh, that you're bringing into the room uh, really well. With orchestral excerpts, be absolutely sure that you have listened to at least one, if not two or three recordings of those bits so that you know the context. Is it a solo? Is it a duet with another instrument? And really critically, do you have a sense of the standard range of tempos that that orchestral work is usually played at? Because that's a really important part of playing orchestral excerpts and doing well on them. We've streamlined the scales, and that's actually something I should mention too. You'll find in this syllabus, there are far fewer scale patterns asked for the early and intermediate grades to really help people to focus on these. Because these, this one section of the exam has to be memorized, it really gives people a chance to get to know these patterns really well so that the response time once one is asked, the ability to apply whatever of the different possible articulations that the examiner asks is there, uh, that the fluency is really there for those. Uh, and it's important as well to prepare the sight reading and the ear tests. And whether it's reading some other studies uh, out, of the, out of a book that you haven't prepared to practice your sight reading, uh, or using some of the online or CD, if, if that's still the case, resources for practicing ear tests, it's really important to be comprehensively prepared because every section will be asked. So you might as well just plan to deal with all of them and give yourself the time to get really comfortable with each of them. And I think sometimes people forget too that even though they might look at the weighting of the exam and, and they see that the, the pieces are weighted more heavily than the ear training, for example, they sometimes forget how the two are correlated and that by spending the time on the ear training, you'll probably bring up your mark on the, the, the repertoire anyways. So they sort of work hand in hand. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, it's unlikely that you will get a perfect score in every single section of every exam you take. I mean, maybe somebody will, but, you know, you you don't want to start giving marks away. Because I really do notice that as an examiner for many years now, that in order to do well, 
you have to do decently on pretty much all the sections. So don't throw any marks away. That's what I would say. Yeah, and it would probably be very unusual to see someone who plays their repertoire at a 10 out of 10, but then can't clap a basic sight reading pattern. Like it's... Exactly. <laughs> it goes sort of all at once there. So and you that's may- why they're all there. That's why the, the different components are, are there, is that it's considered that there's a high value to doing these things. And to any students and parents listening, I mean, this is actually exactly where this goes above and beyond the, the school band programs normally. There's no one-on-one attention for these kind of activities and the ear training and and sort of the, the, the more intense workout that your brain is receiving for this kind of instruction. So so that's a really beneficial, beneficial point. Um, so, Peter, you've been an examiner for quite a while now. Are there any preparation pet peeves that you see coming in the door that students should should know about? Sure. Uh, we've tried to streamline how the syllabus reads so that studies are organized. There, there are sort of bullet points and that, that where things are in columns, it's sort of clear what, what we mean by that. You want to be sure that you're bringing in what the syllabus tells you to bring in. So if it says bring in three or four studies, you want to have those. If it says choose three of the of the this from this list of orchestral excerpts that you really have three that are there. It's really important to note that works with piano must be done with piano. So if it's a piece for clarinet and piano, you really have to have a pianist there with you in the room uh, because we can't examine you otherwise. So that's a really important thing. It's really helpful for us to that you that this the candidates do bring in the copies of music because you're going to get a much higher quality of comment uh, from us if we can give you specific bar references. Uh, so I would really encourage people to do that. And it's a helpful thing. It's not a huge thing, but it is helpful if you uh, use little uh, bookmarks or little tabs, those little stick-on tabs, uh, so that we can easily find the whatever study we're going for or whatever piece. I find it so surprising that uh, uh, people show up without a pianist. That's a common... It's not common by any means, but it, it does happen sometimes. Sometimes it's someone's first uh, exam or it's their teacher's first time having a student take an exam and they just don't quite get that concept. Uh, and uh, that is one rule. We're, the RCME is pretty flexible in a lot of areas, but that is one that we're really serious about. And so you don't want to have, have us scrambling to see if someone else's pianist can come in and sight-read the piano part to your, your repertoire, assuming you have that with you. Well, and of course, so, that's stressful for all the reasons we talked about before with accompanying anyways. It's, it's a new, new ballgame. Totally. Um, so, yeah. The last question about the, the syllabus is, and this surprises some students, by around level eight or nine, you're introducing the bass clarinet and the E-flat clarinet, which I think is fantastic. Um, is the A clarinet included in that as well? Yes, absolutely. There are A clarinet pieces uh, really throughout the, the, the upper upper levels. And uh, again, it, we don't make it a requirement to have an A clarinet or to play A clarinet repertoire uh, if someone doesn't. But certainly there are lots of pieces there that do use it. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant is if now the A clarinet's required. Because I remember some students doing orchestral excerpts on their B flat in the past. Um, but I was, I think, are there some works now in the syllabus for A clarinet specifically at the higher grades? Oh, sure. I mean, everything from the Mozart Quintet to uh, 
to uh, well, you know, any. I'm just looking through through this myself here. Uh, here here's an example: ARCT list B. Uh, it says right there in the syllabus: Gustav Jenner, the Sonata in G Major for A clarinet and piano. So, but, but are people allowed to play that on their B flat? Does it come with a transposed part? I I don't know if that. Well, I mean, I suppose I suppose you could, <laughs> it's but it, possible. Sort of, it it seems like it would make more sense because we don't have a list only of A clarinet pieces. You'll always find B B flat clarinet options. Well, and most of the time when people are getting up to those higher grades, they're they're playing in like a community orchestra or something. They've they've had experience with the A clarinet. I think it would almost be unusual for someone to get to level ten without owning an A clarinet. Sure, but if that's the case, I do want to stress that uh, that it's absolutely possible because of the amount of choice that's that's uh, in the syllabus now, even with. Uh, with the orchestral excerpts, you can find excerpts that are for B-flat clarinet. Um, it actually says here, by the way, under orchestral excerpts, it's in, in writing, for candidates who do not have an A clarinet, excerpts written for A clarinet can be played without transposition on a B-flat clarinet read as printed. Parts for C clarinet should be transposed at sight, as most people will do on their B-flats, or A's, I suppose. But we, we do go to some length to make sure that someone who doesn't have an A clarinet is never backed into a corner. There's always a B-flat option. They just shouldn't choose the repertoire pieces, obviously, that require A, because those I have would, to be... I, I would suggest not. It's not really fun playing... No. <laughs> you know, millions of sharps or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and you mentioned the E-flat, and the E-flat clarinet, I went to some trouble to put in some pieces, so you'll find, uh, I think... Uh, Easily Blackwood's sonatas in there, and maybe Sean Osborne's as well. Um, as part of the repertoire, you mean? As as part of the repertoire, and certainly in the orchestral excerpts, I believe it's at the ARCT level. We actually have. I'm just looking this up here. We actually have separate lists for bass and E flat. Um, no, they're not separate, but they're at, at the ARCT level. Each excerpt tells you which clarinet: B flat, A, bass, C, E flat. And uh, we actually say here that you can that you're welcome to include a combination, but since you only have to choose eight out of about twenty excerpts to play, again, if you don't have a bass clarinet or an E flat, you're never forced to play one. Oh, interesting. So you can still take the RCT, um, but it's just kind of suggested that you expand out to those other instruments. It, it, we don't we don't even sort of push it so much. It's it's there as an option. We're getting quite a bit more technical now, but you mentioned that the, the C parts would obviously be transcribed for the B-flat clarinet. On the off chance that someone did own a C clarinet, could they bring it, or is, are they testing the transposition? Huh, that's a good point. <clears throat> and, and, you know, I'll, officially, I would have to say, no, you have to transpose it, because the syllabus actually does. I mean, the thing is, I play my C clarinet all the time, so I'm sort of smiling here, because I would think it was kind of cool, but actually, I really have to stick with with what's in writing, and it actually says that you have to transpose it, because I also transpose things sometimes too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm doing a, a Mozart mass that's actually trumpet parts, and this particular organization wanted to have two clarinets do it, and a student of mine from the University of Toronto is playing second with me, and she doesn't have a C, and she was worried about how we would match, so you know, now I'm transposing again. So, no, you really do have to, 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 to do the transposition that's there. I think um, it's important to note that the syllabus actually includes an element of transposition 
in the later levels, which I think is really, it is really great because it's so valuable a skill to have, even for someone interested in pop music or jazz or klezmer or whatever. You show up and there's a C sheet for everybody. You still got to be able to play it. That's right. So it's an important musical skill. So often on, on clarinet forums, I see people coming on asking for someone to transpose a part for them. And I always just think, you know, I wish they would take the half an hour and do it because then they would know, then they could do it. <laughs> they would have that yeah. practice, you know? Yeah, so. I mean, for, for sure, transposing, I mean, the French horn players look over at us like, are you guys kidding? Uh, because they do it all <laughs> the time. But, you know, it, the idea that you're playing different notes than your eyes are seeing, if you haven't got comfortable with that, there's just sort of a cognitive dissonance, I think, and, and discomfort. But as you say, it's so common that uh, we're in situations where where somebody didn't may not have realized that the clarinet's in a different key or there just wasn't music for it, that it's it's really an essential sort of clarinet life skill. Well, it, it does come up. I mean, I you just mentioned something about having to side transpose there. And the, the, the worst situation I ever had with that was I got called last minute. Someone got sick for a concert that was happening in about three hours. I had to show up and sight read the book and it was all in C. And if I didn't have that skill, I... I would have been lo- I wouldn't have been able to do the gig, which would have been horrible. Yeah, no, I mean it, exactly. It's uh, it's it's just like I mean it's kind of weird. I actually own a bass clarinet in A. Selmer made a few of them for a few years, and I acquired one. Wow. Somebody, but you know, I mean, it's such an essential skill being able to read bass clef and and being able to deal with a transposition on the bass. Um, and again, it's something that, uh, you know, even if I have the instrument, I may not always want to bring two bass clarinets to every gig and set up two stands and everything. So yeah, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, I think even in the sight reading, uh, part of, of the senior, senior exams, like sort of grade 10, uh, maybe grade nine, you might find a little bit of transposition there too. Well, I actually, I like to go in reverse a lot too. I mean, I, I have a couple students where, um, every year I make them do projects for the recital, like whether they prepare a piece uh, from the, you know, the RCM syllabus or something. But if they're not into that, they can actually pick something and transcribe a little clarinet duet of it. And I used to say to them, okay, you want to play Cantina Band from Star Wars. All right, great. Give me two weeks and I'll have that for you next time. But, but what I found was is that I was missing a real teaching opportunity to sit down and write it out. And, and make a creative sort of base part to go with it. So if you have experience transposing and doing the ear training, I mean, these kind of exercises are so practical and meaningful. It's, it's really great. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. And I mean, I've done many, many arrangements where I was playing, you know, Shepherd on the Rock with a soprano and a pianist. And they said, hey, we want to do summertime as an encore. Can you, can you sort of extract a clarinet part from the, the right hand of the piano or something? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done that more times than I can count. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I've done that co- exact combination as well. Believe <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Maybe we were on the same gig and we forgot. I don't know. That's right. Yeah. And I, I think that before we stop here, I, I want to give a little bit of a um, some information because most of our listeners are actually American and around the world. I think that mm-hmm. most Canadians will know how to get uh, in contact with the RCM boards. But what is it? What is the uh, the association called in the States? Is it the same name? Um, no, it's actually called the Royal Conservatory Music Development Program. And there's a separate website for that. It's uh, musicdevelopmentprogram.org. And can any American take those tests or enroll in these programs? Or is it just certain regions for now? 
Um, any student or uh, teacher who is interested can. On the website, we actually have a listing of all the different exam or what we call in the States assessment centers uh, throughout the United States. So we have I believe 20 in California. We have them in the state of Seattle, New York, Ohio. Uh, I'm off to Minnesota and Wisconsin in late May to uh, adjudicate there. Texas, Utah, Colorado. I'm just naming the ones that off that I've actually been to myself, Iowa. So, but we do have um, a number of assessment centers in the United States. Great, Peter. Did you have any last thoughts? You know, one of the, the things I'd mentioned, too, with the syllabus is at the back, there's a resource section. And I do encourage people to go and have a look uh, there, especially professional players and teachers. Uh, it lists, in addition to all of the, uh, the material, uh, the anthologies and so on that are in the syllabus, things on uh, general guides to clarinet playing, history of the clarinet and clarinetist, reads, repairs, and maintenance. There actually is a section of base clarinet resources there and uh, some web resources as well. So I uh, just encourage people to uh, flip to the very back and have a look at that. And that's in the syllabus, correct? That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Derek and Peter, for coming on the show today. And um, I really hope that students and parents and anyone listening got a chance to delve into the RCM and, and get a sense for what the organization's about and what the new syllabus is going to do for clarinet playing in Canada going forward. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sean. If you find that you're enjoying the podcast, please consider sharing it with your friends, colleagues, students, and family. If you have any feedback regarding the show, ideas for future episodes, or questions for upcoming guests, please do not hesitate to get in touch. You can do this by emailing directly at feedback at That's feedback at To be eligible to win items mentioned on the podcast, please be sure to sign up for the Clarinet newsletter, because winners will be randomly drawn each month from a list of email subscribers. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.